Welcome to the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, author and activist Sabon Fusome explores the importance of grieving and ritual in Burkina Faso, West Africa, and how that tradition can be applied to our lives today. Her work has helped move African spiritual practices from the realm of anthropology to a place alongside the world's greatest spiritual traditions. This conversation was recorded on February 26, 2016 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, please find us and subscribe on iTunes or on our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Greetings, everyone. How are you? Ah? How are you? Come on, it's a beautiful day in San Francisco. There is no wind. You know, it's not too badly foggy. It's beautiful out there. Um, you know, when I uh, first came to um, California, I lived in Oakland, and I used to watch the fog. And literally, I was afraid because it looks like this thing crawling in, coming to get you. And I used to close everything and go, oh, my God, what is that thing? And um, <laughs> somebody said, it's just a fog. Um, so now I'm, I'm used to it, and I love it. And I, um, and of course, um, enjoy being it, uh, in it every now and then. So um, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Um, in San Francisco and back here in CIS. Um, it's, um, it's a wonderful place to come to meet people and to also, um, um, get my learning mind, uh, widened and, uh, expanded because I consider myself a student of life. Um, and so, um, it is a pleasure for me to meet new people and to reconnect with old people as well. And um, I'm sure it's going to be something this talk on grief. Um, for those people who have never been in it, it's like, oh my God, do I really have to listen to it? Yeah. It, <laughs> it's one of those kind of harsh, squealy, creaky thing that nobody really wants to touch, but so important to deal with. Um, because um, our not dealing with grief at different levels has gotten us into trouble. And we could lose this earth any day if we don't do our work of cleaning up our own stuff. And so um, it is... Um, um, truly is um, with joy that I see people have the courage to come and to listen to such a strange subject um, that will clear the room anywhere you go, really, because people go, ah, what? Did you really say grief? Um, and um, no, seriously, you know, when I'm flying and people ask me, so where are you going? I say, oh, I'm going to a grief workshop. Then never ask me another question again, <laughs> you know. But if I said intimacy, oh, now let's have a conversation. Um, and so it, it, it is usually the elephant in the room, um, but elephant which is killing us every day. Elephant which is dictating how this world is run, um, how innocent people die, um, how our, our politics also go. Uh, I mean, it really is scary these days to see the politics. You know, it's like, my God, you know, do I really want any of them to really be the president and speak for me? It's like, no! You know? Um, no, seriously. But they, this politician, they do speak about the unconscious part of us that we are not dealing with. Because when you see um, Trump going out there with all the anger, all the rage, he is speaking for something we are not addressing. So it's not, you know, people say, you know, he's wrong. I say, no, there is something that we are not tending to that he's able to address it for us. 
Um, and so um, in that, you know, I do give him credit, but it's the way it comes across and it's the example that is being uh, given out there that's scary, you know, that if you cannot deal with your angst, you know, take it out on other people. And that basically how this world has been run. Most of us, we don't like our grief. And so therefore we give it to other people. Um, you don't believe me. I mean, just start a beautiful day and you see someone sitting, you know, not having a great day and go give them a big smile and say, how are you doing? By the time you get out of there, you wonder, did I ask for what I got or did they just give it to me? You know, because people are in serious pain. And that's why there's so many different, you know, pain medication that are being put out there um, for people. And it still does not kill the pain. You know, so when you get to have things like morphine and the pain still does not go away, you know, it's not just a physical pain. I mean, look at, um, um, I hate to give him as an example, um, but um, um, I can't even remember his name, Michael uh, Jackson, um, you know, having to be on pain medication and that the pain still does not go away. Um, and, and a lot of us are experiencing different type of pain. You know, it's not just physical pain. It's not just emotional. It's not just spiritual. You know, it's just not mental. It's like a concoction and a combination of all of it. And it hits you and you go, my God, you know, where do I go with this? And a lot of time, you know, you sit and you think, my God, you know, am I the only one in the world that the gods have forsaken for me to be going through what I'm going through when everybody else seems to be having a good time out there? Um, and, um, um, and, and the, the point is that it's because most of us, we're pain managing. You know, nowadays when you go into a room and everybody's sitting with their phone and they're all like this and there's no conversation, it's very telling. You know, why is it that we cannot have face-to-face -face conversation? We have to have this completely um, life that with someone that is 10,000 life years away from us that we may never touch with our hands, but that's whom we consider to be our closest uh, uh, friend. That's scary. And yet the people who live with you don't even know who you are. They don't even get to um, have a word about how you're feeling that day. And it is um, in, in large part because community is really not there. And so every single one of us, we are out to fend for ourselves. And it's, um, as we say in French, it's the soulkeeper, run who can. Um, so, uh, we, we, we constantly on survival mode and, uh, it's, it's so, uh, drastic that you can see in people walking in the street, you know, people are on survival mode because the pain is so great. Who is going to lay their pain down first so they can attend to other people's? That's often the question. And so, um, so when you dare to come to a program like this, um, something in your soul is not ready to give up yet. Something in your soul is still kicking and is still fighting and is still believe in something great. And that's why it shows up here. And so um, for all the courage that it took, I really commend you. Because what you are here um, to hear, to do uh, for those people staying for the weekend, you know, we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our children, really. We're doing it for tomorrow. We're doing it for the earth. And we're also doing it for our ancestors because they didn't do such a great job at handling things. So now we end up with our such a mess that we call um, the ancestor mortgage.
that we carry with us. And that is actually a, a lot why we have so much pain because a lot of us, we don't um, have our own pain that is bigger than the ancestral pain. The ancestral pain outweighs what we carry. And so it's like before you can even take a breath, something has been put to weigh you down and you have to wrestle with it your entire life to try to get rid of it. It's not such an easy thing. And, you know, sometimes I, 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 I want to go, let's go wake those ancestors and beat them back, you know, so they can know how much pain we're carrying. It's true because it's, it's really amazing. Um, um, because nowadays, you know, it, why we get ill uh, nowadays, you know, why we're not successful when we see ourselves all to able to succeed and still being at baby uh, steps, you know, it's not because we are not good enough. It's not because we are not cap capable. It is because something else has its hook, you know, in us and holding us back. So you run for the speed, but, you know, it's like, um, what do you call those um, jumpers? Um, um, well, it can be bungee. You know, you're ready to jump and then the thing holds you back and you can't go. Um, what? I don't even know the name in English. <laughs> and plus, I just returned from Burkina Faso. So my mind is not completely in America mood. So there is a little bit of Dagara, Mosi, Jula, French. It's all a mush in there. So if I start to say words that you cannot understand, understand that it's coming from a different place. It's the same when I go back to Africa. Sometimes I'm talking and people go, what? I say, oh, you, you understand. I, say, I have no idea what you're talking about. It, it's the story of my life. Yeah. Um, and so, so pain, pain and grief um, uh, are very interesting in that um, uh, the pain begin to speak about how the soul is feeling. Um, the pain um, start to give a language as to what has not been witnessed, experienced, or what has not been um, dealt with that the soul is still wrestling. And so, um, at least in the Dagra tradition, um, you, you don't feel pain, you don't become ill unless your soul has been carrying something for a, uh, a while. And so, um, and again, it may not necessarily be because when I say this, people go, oh yeah, you know, it must be because I have 10,000 years of karma. No, it has some time, you know, I would say 99.99%, it has nothing to do with karma. It has something to do either with a vibration of a place you live in, the vibration of a community, the vibration of the earth, uh, or simply what I call ancestral kudis. You know, I turn juvenile sometimes. Um, um, that um, um, basically are creating the illnesses. And I say that because, you know, um, America for... How many years now uh, we've been struggling with uh, weight problem, uh, complaining about how the children are getting, you know, um, you know, unbelievably big, you know, for their age. Um, but a lot of time, what we're not really putting into the equation is that a lot of the, um, uh, those children, our children are people uh, of people who either have run to America um, to run away from hunger and poverty. Um, people who have come here to get away from potatoes famine, or uh, people who have run away to not be persecuted. And so in the DNA of those children, there is something that is telling them to eat up and to save. 
And so when they try not to eat, that's something that has not been dealt with when those people came. Tell them, no, you're going to die. You got to eat more because if you don't eat, you're going to die. And so there is an ingrained message in their DNA telling them they have to eat up. And so when you go to a doctor who is telling you, well, you have to eat this and eat that, the body does not register that. All the body hears is that, oh my God, this person wants to kill me. I got to eat. Yeah? And so uh, it's the same with people who work in the health, health field. A lot of time they put on weight not because they don't do work or work out, but because of the pain they witness that they have to put on the weight to create a buffer between them and the people they're dealing with. And so that's why I'm saying that pain sometimes has nothing to do with your own karmic life because pain comes in um, as a way of telling you that there is something in the environment or in your lineage or somewhere where you're living that needs tending to. Yeah. Um, and you may be thinking, okay, this is very crazy, but think about it. There are a lot of people who have very beautiful relationships that working out. And sometimes they move just one block away. And all of a sudden the whole relationship collapses. But they're not thinking about the energy in the new place and how it's impacting their relationship. Does that make sense? And there are such places. And one of those places for me is Whitby Island. People go to Whitby madly in love. And then the women stay and the men leave. Very interesting energy. But when you get there, the pool is very strong. I even thought when I first went there, I said, I could live here only if it wasn't this cold. But then I started to watch the behavior and the dynamic, how the land dictates what happens. Yeah? And so, so if you are working on your relationship, maybe you need to think about it, where you move or um, what places you go to. Um, you know, how many married people live there? Um, you know, are there many or are there none? Those are good questions to ask before you get there. There is a reason why the energy is there. You know, since um, um, World War I and World War II, Berlin is one of those places that everybody longs to be in partnership but nobody wants to deal with a person sitting next to them. It's very interesting because the pain of what happened in Berlin is still so alive that the pain keeps the people away. And so they just sit in the longing. And so, um, so when we experience grief, um, Sometimes we need to stop ourselves and ask ourselves, whose grief am I carrying? Whose pain is it? Because that's where blame and shame comes in. Because a lot of time we take on so many people grief and shame and we're not even thinking that those things will impact us and can impact us for the rest of our life. And we are so taught that when somebody blames you, automatically you go into shame, you start to apologize. And that's when guilt comes in and says, me too. And you find yourself feeling guilty, not even knowing why you feel guilty. And carrying shame, not even knowing why you feel shameful. You know, when I lived in Oakland, I used to wonder why when the young people receive the police, they start to run. I thought, 
really interesting. But automatically, there is a message that tells them, if you stand here, you're going to be in trouble. Even if you're not creating any trouble. Yeah? And so, in the same manner, you know, there are ways that we have said yes to things that we shouldn't say yes to. Have taken on things that we shouldn't have taken on. And we feel so burdened and we wonder why we feel so burdened. It doesn't compute, but there it is. And that's why sometimes you need to stop and ask the question, whose pain did I say yes to today? That relationship I went into, what did I say yes to? Wait a minute, did I even stop to think that the ancestor of this person could be hiring me to do work for them? Ha! Ah, that becomes a very interesting question to ask, isn't it? No, I mean it because a lot of time, a lot of relationship falls apart and we cannot put one and one and make it too. Because you were just getting into the relationship, you fully committed, and then the other person says, I'm done. And you go, but where are you going? The fun just got started. You know what I mean? When you are hired by the ancestor of a particular family to come and do work on their behalf, Because you're so used to doing that, you don't think. So you actually end up working so fast that you put yourself out of job. Seriously. So when they tell you that the job has ended, you say, wait, but I just signed the contract. And so that's why you need to stop and say, so who actually hired me? Was I really paying attention? Because sometimes your own ancestors do hire you too. And in this situation, we often call them the black sheep of the family. And when you have a black sheep of a family who is there to deal with a um, pain body of the family, nobody's going to like that person. Because they're doing works that nobody wants to deal with. And so as a result, this person has to be kept far away. You know, the only time you know you're doing the right way is when everybody's singing your name. Because they need to blame you. You remember that word? They need to blame you. So what did they just do? They're trying to take their pain and project it onto you. Or give more load for you to work on. And so when you are in that situation, don't ever think that you are ever going to uh, have the praises that you actually deserve for cleaning up the goo of a family system. It's not going to happen. Nobody goes to the doctor saying, yes, I'm going to the doctor. You know, I'll go, God, I have to go see the doctor. It's like, you know, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But when you go and the doctor say, great news. You come in and say, oh, my God, I have healed myself. Where is the credit to the doctor? There isn't much credit to the doctor. And a lot of time um, when we are dealing with pain and when we are dealing with grief, a um, lot of um, what we do, we don't get credit for, except the children who know something happened, except the land who knows something happened, and they are thankful to us. And so, um, so grief is um, a very big thing to deal with, but a lot of time we like to pass the bucket. 
And that's how we end up with a huge backlog of grief that is working all of us to the point that we can all be in one room wanting the same thing and nobody daring to say it. And what is interesting is that feeling are universal. Any being feels. There isn't that being that doesn't feel. Even rock. Yes, I know. Paul Simon and Carl Funkel said, you know, the rock have no pain. But that's not true. Rock do feel. When they sweat, they are feeling. Everything feels. And we really, really need to honor our feeling. They may be adequate or they may not be. But hey, we weren't born in a community that really validate our feeling. We weren't born in a place where they say, God, you're grieving? Great. Let's celebrate together. Let's grieve together. Yeah? And so... Beginning to honor your feeling is really important. And to begin to name them too. Because until you are able to name them, you cannot nail them. Meaning, by being able to name your feeling, especially your feeling of grief and sorrow, you cannot crystallize them to a point that you can see the shape, the form, the color they come with in order to deal with them effectively. Because there are a lot of things that work us that we are not conscious of. And it is when somebody inadvertently tells us a story and it's like, aha, now I know the name of what it is I've been dealing with. Now you know the alien, so the alien is not so frightful. And so when we are able to name things, it gives us permission to also let it go. And by letting go, we are creating a whole range of energy so that we can actually have the support we need to take care of matter at the root level. And that's why a bunch of crazy people in West Africa do. You know, they believe that, you know, this business of taking care of the soul um, starts by taking care of how we deal with our emotions. And so for 72 hours, they get together and they grieve. I know the government has been trying to shut it down for years, but it's still surviving nonetheless. And it is not because they want to punish themselves by dealing with it, but it is because they see their survival as intimately tied to this. And I know at least one person who's in this room who has been to my tribe. You know, when you get there the first time, it's like you look at these people, they look so poor. And then we look so happy. It's like, what's the deal here? It's not because they have 10 million in their bank account, but it's because they know that their feeling is not an individual burden. It is a collective. Because by being a, a, fa a, a, a Fred in the fabric, of the community, whatever impacts you, impacts the whole. And so there is no such a thing as individual um, grief in my tradition. Everything is collective. And you will never hear anyone say either, I have grief. Because you cannot own a grief. It's not an item of possession. You can say, Grief has come and found us out. It means that it is a passing energy. And indeed, it is a passing energy when you can work through it. So it does not become stagnated. Um, 
Um, and so when one person is grieving, everybody is grieving. And they even have a same a saying that when the eye cries, the nose does not laugh. Have you noticed? So meaning that whatever is touching your soul and is making you um, uh, have an emotion, it comes from the source where we all drink from. And so, and because you have been chosen to be the voice of a particular grief in the community, does not give you the right to own that grief. And that's why in the village, everything is communal. You know, you walk in there, you know, if you're sad, then everybody's sad. You know, if you have a shirt, then everybody wants that shirt. You know, I, I, I always tell the story of when I, um, I lived in Michigan. I, I tend to have lived in a lot of places I know, but it's America. You know, it's about moving, isn't it? <laughs> um, I went home with my down coat and I know my people. Anything that comes in there, it may not come out. So I, I took it upon myself to put it in this jar and then took it down to the granary and put it there. And it was just children and I, you know, we have our secret, but you know, African secret, right? There's no secret. <laughs> so the day before I am to leave, I crawl and I get in, down in the granary. And I can find that the children are standing out there laughing and giggling. I'm like, hey, you all know something, so tell me. He said, oh, the next day, that was gone. <laughs> like, how come nobody told me? He said, well, we tried, but you weren't listening. Okay, so, um, but five years later, I'm in this very far place because we have to put a well in there. And I see somebody wearing my coat. <laughs> I, there are many coats like that. I said, where did you find my coat? And the story went, there were like at least 10 people who have had this coat before he got it. I was like, all right, you know. By then it cannot be used. So, um, and so, so this is to say that everything is collective. You know, your joys belong to the collective. You start to say you're getting married today. Everybody's going to start to say they're getting married because, you know, that's the deal. You have um, uh, grief today. Everybody's going to say there is grief. Um, and so, so if you actually go to my tribe and you are experiencing grief and you don't want to share, people will be very offended. And they want to know what's so good about it that you don't want to share. You know, I had uh, some friend from Austria who went there and, um, you know, they uh, called me when they say, can you just tell your people we just need like, Five minute break, just five minutes. Is that possible? And I keep saying, it's not possible. They don't understand it. Um, seriously. Um, so I finally said, the only thing that they will understand is if you tell them you are ill. Oh, you're ill. Oh, okay, we'll give you a little bit of time. And that's what I do when I go home and I'm so exhausted. You know, they don't understand the time difference and they don't understand what it takes to get there. And I'm just wanting some time. And they're like, oh, yeah. Um, so, why are you sleeping? I say, yes, I am. Uh, but you're talking. I can sit and talk. I said, but I said I'm sleeping. Well, you can continue to sleep. I'll just sit here and talk to you. Like, <laughs> they don't understand. It's like, oh, okay, you're going to sleep. I can still talk to you while you're sleeping. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, so, so collective energy is very important. And I know that you, you feel, okay, so, um, so enough about this crazy dagger people, the living community, they're lucky. And, you know, what about me? I am living in San Francisco. I don't have a community. I mean, heck, what am I going to do? Um, there is a recognition as a human being that we all need our feeling honored and recognized. And the things that we probably struggle with the most 
It's not because we got the bad news. But the thing we struggle with the most is this sense of isolation or rejection that our grief belongs to the collective. A lot of us are still doing therapy probably for 20, 50 years because of one thing. Because when wrong was done to you, nobody stepped up to the place and stopped it. Nobody stood up and said, this is a collective problem. Let's deal with it. And so there are part of you that are still waiting for your community, whether it is in San Francisco, whether it is in Oakland, to come and say, look, this is wrong. And this person has been done wrong. And can we do something about it? It's not just for the person who has been done wrong, but it's also for the person who is doing the wrong because obviously something is killing them for them to want to kill somebody else. And it is all within our power to do that something. Sometimes we don't know what the magical thing was it would be. But the first thing is to show up. I'm here. I don't know what to do, but I am here. I've never gone through a breakup, but here I am. I'm here. I know that somewhere it troubles me. So here I am. We have to learn to show up. Because until we show up, we also silently agreeing with what is going on. You know, in my village, they say that when you see something wrong going on, if you don't speak about it or speak on it, it means that you agree. So by not agreeing, show up and say, Hey, I'm just a lost San Franciscan, but here I am. Somebody even just holding your hand. It can make a world of difference between someone taking one breath and somebody losing that breath. An eye connection. But you see, because we think we are in the city, we don't even look at one another. We don't even acknowledge the presence of one another. It is as if the world starts and ends here. But that world is too small. It is too confining. And it is killing us. And really, what we're screaming in there is, Somebody please break this wall because I don't want to live in here. So what is it going to take for us to really get there? I hope the earth doesn't have to speak for us. And I hope our children do not have to carry it for us. I'm going to uh, quote one of my favorite, favorite poets. William Stafford. He has a poem called A Ritual to Read to Each Other. I always butcher the poems. I'm not even going to start from the beginning to end. But I'm just going to give you one sentence. It says, the signal we give to one another, a yes, a no, or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. 
And until we can know that we are the light in the life of the others, they may live in the darkness of never knowing that somebody cared. They may not know that that life existed until it is too late. Recently, we've been seeing a lot of suicide and homicide. We may be thinking it's with TV, but we also know it's close to home. Nobody ever takes their own life unless they have put out the SOS sign for a long time. Not just on their behalf, but on behalf of the whole community. Nobody. When the pain in the collective becomes too great, some of the most sensitive people start to act it out. It is a way to say, please, let's do something. And when that is met with silence, that pain eat them up. It does. And so, sometimes when you hesitate to reach out, have a courage. Put it out there. I don't know what to do. I'd like to help. I feel clumsy. If you tell me, I'll be willing. People have to know that you are available. It's kind of like when you have children. If you don't give them permission to reach out to others, and if others don't let them know they're available to the children, there is a Grand Canyon that exists between us. Because a child will not know it's okay to reach out to Aunt Annie. That Aunt Annie is a good person. She'll look out for you. And if Aunt Annie does not say, I'm available, I'm willing to play, I'm willing to go for walks, this child may not know there is an entire world open and available to them. It's the same with us. We all need somebody. How does that song go again? <laughs> we all need somebody to lean on. So we all do. It's not just a song. It is a cry for the soul. Because a single a single heart cannot shine bright enough to be seen from afar. But more heart together, that light will be very bright. And it will know, it will let the energies out there. There is something else at work here. We cannot just devour these people. You know? When I first came to America, that's the thing, a thing that nearly killed me. I was so naive to think that community existed everywhere. I know solitude, but I didn't know isolation. I didn't know what it meant to be 
alone. To be sitting in your own blood. And that's the thing that you drink. And that's the thing that you bathe in. And that's what most of us, we do. We are sitting in our own blood. We bathe in it and we drink it. Because help is not there. And so when the wells begin to dry up, you don't know what else to do. There's no other feeding source sustaining you. And yet we talk about sustainability in terms of how we're going to keep an, a company running, how we're going to keep a farm running, but we don't talk about sustainability in terms of a human soul. Until the human soul finds a home and finds peace, none of those things make sense. The pain that we carry will destroy the very, very thing we're striving for. And that's why civilization after civilization, and it seems like it's a hopeless it's a cause. It's not. It is because the soul of a human needs something else that we are not addressing. Giving us war is not going to solve the problem. In fact, it makes it worse because war has an appetite. And it's a deadly appetite. There is something else in there. And once you get the taste of it, it becomes an insatiable thing. And that's why when homelessness started, we often wonder why people are homeless. The real, true graphic cases started when? Anybody remembers? After Vietnam. You remember? World War One, World War Two. When the people came back home, they were welcomed with honors. Yes. Vietnam, people were awake and alert, and they didn't want the war. When the people returned, they were not welcome. And most of those people, where did they end up? In the street. Except for the lucky few who had somebody to welcome them back. The grief that they're carrying is so huge. It's not just their grief. Mind you, it's the grief of Vietnam and it is the grief of America. It divides your soul. It divides your spirit. Living in a home would mean your death. So it's easier to live out the homelessness outside than to live in a home pretending you are home when you are not home. If anyone has lived with a veteran, you know what I'm talking about. Their soul is not at peace unless something happened to bring that soul home. And that's why some of them still go back to the land where they were at war. And you may think, now this is not. Why would you want to go back there and live a nightmare? But here is the thing. They have left something there. And they need to retrieve it. That is their soul. 
they have left their soul behind, and we need to retrieve it. It is true. You cannot come home when your soul is not with you. It's the same when people have been raped, when people have been molested sexually. You cannot be home. And most of them don't live home in their body. If you check in, they're not home. And why? Because it's a survival mechanism. They're saying that few people live a few blocks from their home. It's real. Because if they are to live in that home again, it will mean their physical death. The grief is too strong. It's like a huge wave in there to go in. And that's in part why a lot of us, we often don't feel at home. It's not because we don't live in nicely boxed thing with bed and stuff. It is because there has been enough energy put out there to make us feel homeless. And so the part of us that's grieving that loss of home, that trust, that the people who claim they would welcome us, that they would be there for us. And never showed up. Have left a void in our soul, which creates a homelessness in us. That even when you have security system, there are those days you go in and you check in under your bed in the closet, you know, just in case somebody might have crept in there. And it's not a fear that is justifiable, but it's actually because you're recognizing that the energy is out there. It's just that nobody's speaking about it. We all go into our home and we pretend that we are home. And yet we still feel homeless. So our grief have different legs. It has different layers. It has different ways it impacts us. Believe me, if they all impacted us the same way, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. Our relationship to the thing lost the intensity of a connection, it will all determine how the impact of a grief lands on us. And sometimes it lands so strong that you are so blown away that you cannot deal with a, a, with a grief at the time it's happening. 